Welcome to this message from Journey Church. Our hope is that you'd encounter God and His purpose for your journey. Be sure to visit us online at www.journeykc.com. All right, well, like I told the other two services, this is kind of an interesting message for me, and uh, it's going to be for you, too, (laughs) because it's an interesting message for me, because normally when Pastor Sean asks me to to speak, um, I'll take a week or two and just kind of pray about it and seek God and see what He wants me to say, And, and usually a couple weeks out, I'll get an idea or like we in our first Corinthians series, you don't even have to pray about it. It's, you know, it's chapter 9. It's chapter 15. And I'll kind of take a long approach to the runway. And by the time I get a midweek into the week of speaking, I'm pretty much worked everything out. And I'm kind of just refining what I know uh, I'm going to talk about. And this time it was really different because I really didn't know what God wanted me to speak on. I mean, there were things I could have talked about, but I don't want to just get up here and give my opinion on things. I really want to talk about what God wants me to talk about. And I just wasn't getting much direction until about Wednesday. It started kind of focusing in. And even up to this morning, I was still, I mean, I had the message done, but it was still in progress. It wasn't done. It was getting done. And I was running out here before first service telling the the computer people, take this word out, you know, take this line out, put this verse in, and was kind of editing it right up to the last minute. And so this is kind of an active message where um, God is kind of delivering it almost as I speak. So it's kind of an exciting thing. Um, But I wonder if many of you guys know that old hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness. And I'm guessing that a lot of you do. Um, You know, great is thy faithfulness, great is thy faithfulness, morning by morning new mercies I see, right? And the reason I bring that up is there is a uh, verse near the end that is relevant to what we're going to talk about here tonight. Pardon for sin and a peace that endureth, thine own dear presence to cheer and to guide. Strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow, blessings all mine with 10,000 beside. That one line in there, strength for today, is something that stuck out to me because we come into church and we sing things and we talk about things and we hear things that are all wonderful things from the Word of God. And we all get behind it and rah, rah, you know, our God saves, our God saves, freedom is here, freedom is here. And then we walk out the door and that's just not our reality, you know? I mean, I know that's not everybody, but I know that's for a lot of people. And so we say strength for today, but then we don't really experience strength for today. And so I'm looking at this and I'm like, well, I believe the word of God. I know it's true. I believe it more than I believe anything else. And yet the reality for most people is not reflecting what the Word of God says. And so I want to figure out 
what the disconnect is, and let's fix it. Or let's make progress towards fixing it. So what I want to do tonight is, is kind of talk about how the power of God operates in your life. Okay? And before I get any further, let's just pray. Father, of God, Father God, we want the power of God in our life. Anything that you have provided for us, anything that you have made available to us, and God, especially anything that you have paid a high price for us to have, we say tonight, we want it. Lord, we we aren't passing over it. We aren't treating it as something common or something unvaluable. We say we want it. And God, if you have... Uh, given us power for living, then we want it. But God, we recognize tonight that there are, inevitably, there must be blind spots. There must be holes in, in what we believe or what we say or how we live. And, and we come to you tonight, Lord. We ask that your Holy Spirit would help us to receive, help us to understand And help us to apply your word in our life. Because God, we want to leave here tonight changed. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's look at 1 John chapter 4 tonight. 1 John chapter 4, starting in 13, 4.13. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us. Because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this love is perfected, by this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. And listen to this, because as he is, so also are we in this world. Now, I don't want to say something or read something rather that is so epic and so monumental as what I just read and just gloss over it and move on. Because I don't know about you, but when I read that line, as he is, so also are we in this world, my brain has a hard time with that. Because, again, there is this conflict between what I'm reading in the Bible and what I sometimes see in my life. And I want to know, why are they not in harmony, right? And so think about what that means for just a second. As he is... Now, the he that it's referring to is the Son of God, Jesus. As he is, that's present tense. So as Jesus presently is, get a picture of that. The Bible says he's seated at the right hand of God, enthroned in heavenly place, all this stuff, right? As he is, basically he's in dominion. So also are we in this world, in this present world. So how can that be? How can that be? I mean, I don't want to just amen it and move on. I want to understand it 
I want to apply it. I want my life to change because of it. So how could it be possible that we could be like Jesus right now? Ephesians 6.10 says to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. And in Zechariah, you've heard this probably before, it says that it's not by our might or not by our power, but by the Spirit. And so we see clearly in God's Word that there's this idea that we are supposed to operate in His power, not ours. That we're supposed to operate in His strength, not ours. We know that. We get that mentally. But again, there's this disconnect. Why isn't it happening in our life? What are we missing? Because we're missing something. God has given us power for this present life. But it seems like few people really understand what that means or how to apply it. Second Peter 1.3 says this, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory, His own excellence. So, God through His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. That's a huge, huge, general, huge, giant statement that pretty much is a huge tent that encompasses everything that you could possibly bring up, right? Any need that you have, God's power has granted to you all things that pertain to your life and how you can be like God. So we have this. It's been provided somehow, some way. How do we get in touch with this? How do we let it move through our life um, to be what we need to represent Jesus to this world? Well, the good news is that if you're a child of God, and how many of you guys are children of God? If you're a child of God, you're never, ever powerless. You, know, you are never powerless. That's the truth. That's the simple fact. It may not feel that way, but that's the truth. You're never powerless. But the question we have to answer tonight is, how do we access this power? How do we do it? Uh, do we have to ask God for it over and over and over again? Do we have to beg him for it every day? Does he withhold it? Does he give it to some but not others? Do we have to work for it or earn it? I mean, what do we have to do to get it? Well, I hope it wouldn't mess up your mind too much if I were to tell you that you already have it. So again, we're talking about the power of God that has been given to you to live this life. Because I know that everybody in here at one time or another has had an experience or maybe consistent regular experiences where you feel like you're powerless or you feel like you need the power of God and you don't have it. But I'm making the claim tonight that you do have it. And we're going to just try to fix this disconnect between what the, what the Bible says and what you experience. So let's use this lamp here as an illustration. So this lamp is, for tonight, is you, okay? This represents 
you. Now, this lamp has a purpose. It has a function. It is designed for a reason. It has a job that it is supposed to do. And it's not supposed to just be something you look at. It's not a statue. It's not any kind of an art piece or anything like that. It has a purpose. But this lamp won't function. It won't fulfill its purpose without external power. Okay? Now, think about the process that was involved and required for power to get to that lamp, right? Somebody had to build a power plant. And what did that take? That took an engineer to design it. That took laborers. That took time. That took a lot of money. A lot of work went into building a power plant because somebody's got to generate power. And then once the power plant's built, you got guys that have to get out there and run power lines, right? And if they're running power lines and they're, even, they're either installing utility poles or they're digging trenches and burying power lines, probably somewhere there's a substation that has to get built, then more power lines, right? And then once the power finally gets to this building, some electrician has to come in and install an electrical service and then run power lines through the building and install uh, outlets. So all of this work had to be done so that all we have to do is take our lamp and plug it in. And then once the lamp is plugged in, we are plugged into the power. But how ridiculous would it be? Now remember, this represents you, okay? How ridiculous would it be if every time I wanted this lamp to work, I had to call the power company and say, hey guys, uh, I'm going to read for an hour, and so I need you to send some power so that I can read for, let's say, 60 minutes. Can you send some power? Nobody's going to do that, right? We all know how it works. You don't need to call the power company to send power. Why? Because the power is already here, right? I mean, the power is on 24-7. We just plug into it. What we have to do is not call the power company. We just have to flip the switch. And when we flip the switch, the power flows in and the light does what it was designed to do. Okay, so in the same way, you don't have to constantly ask God for power. He's provided the power. In fact, just like this illustration, God has done all the heavy labor. We talked about the power plant and the lines and the substation and the electrical service, all that work that had to be done. God has done all the work to get power to your life. He did a lot more work than building a power plant. Jesus died on the cross. Jesus rose from the dead. A lot of work has been done. A lot of blood, sweat, and tears has been shed to get power to your life. And it's there 24-7 available to you. And we're going to learn how to flip the switch. We're going to talk about how to flip the switch and access the power. But before we do that, I want to talk about how this illustration that I just talked about is not just some little clever analogy, but it's actually in the Bible, and um, this is actually how it works. So what I want to talk about tonight is really two points where the power of God 
flows into your life. And I'm not saying that there aren't more times, and, but I'm talking about two times tonight, okay, um, where you get a massive dose of the power of God. Now, the first point where, where the power of God flows into your life is at salvation. You receive power at salvation. For you to get saved, there is a lot of power involved in making that happen. Because what's happening is a dead spirit is being done away with and a new life is being created. So at salvation, really three things happen. When I talk about salvation, a lot of times you might think that what that is talking about is just the idea of forgiveness of sins. And that's not all that happens. Now that's part of it, and it's awesome. But there's more, okay? But the first part that I want to talk about, I want to break it into three sections. The first part is power for new life. So when salvation happens... When you give your life to Jesus, when he rushes in in his power and creates new life inside you, and we had that happen today. It was so awesome right here after second service. When that happens, uh, there is power for new life, and the old is done away with, and the new is born. Actually, what happens at that moment is something that's so amazing and so incredible that I want to make the claim tonight that the power that goes inside of you, that is placed inside of you, is the greatest demonstration of the power of God in all time. Now, that's a big statement, right? But I believe it's true. Because if you think about all of the other times that we know of, according to what the Bible says, where God has demonstrated his power, you think about the miracles Jesus did. You know, you think about parting the Red Sea. You think about uh, Samson and the feats of strength that he did. All of the different things in the Bible that happened. How about the creation of the world? That's a mighty demonstration of the power of God. But even at the creation of the world, according to what the Bible says, there's no indication that there was any resistance to that. That God created this world the sea, the dry land, light, dark, animals, created man, unresisted. But yet when Jesus was raised from the dead, there's ample evidence in the Bible to make a very safe assumption that all the powers of death and hell converged, marshaled together, unified to resist that act. Think about that. The devil... And all his minions, unified, come together to stop one thing from happening. And yet, the Bible says that when Jesus rose from the dead, he overcame death and hell. And so I believe based on that, and based on what we see in the Bible, that that's the greatest demonstration of the power of God. But you say, okay, how's that in us? Well, look at Romans 8.11. <clears throat> Romans 8.11 says this, If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead, dwells in you. He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. So that power, now think about this. Don't let it just go on past you. That power 
that raised Jesus from the dead in the face of all that opposition and all that resistance, that same power is inside you. That same power is inside you. And anything that you are fighting, anything that you are struggling with, anything that you are worried about, anything that you fear, that same power, the greatest demonstration of the power of God ever, is just, I would think of it as like inches away from that thing that that troubles you. And so that's a game changer. That's a major thing. The power that is inside you is power to create new life. Galatians 2.20 says this, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Isn't it awesome that Jesus gave us new life? I mean, is that incredible? So what that means is that the things that were connected to the old life went away with the old life. Now, what I'm going to suggest tonight is that that what we struggle with is that there are times where it doesn't seem like they've gone away. And this is what we have to deal with. But the truth is that those chains of sin, addiction, uncontrollable thoughts have been broken. And so at salvation, there is power for new life, and there's also power for deliverance. There's also power for deliverance. Now, uh, John 8, 36 says, so if the Son sets you free, you're free indeed. I mean, you're absolutely free. You're completely free. You may not feel like you're free, but if Jesus set you free, you are free. So in seeking God about this and praying about all of this that we're talking about tonight, I've just been digging at, so why is it that so many people don't seem to be living the reality of what God's Word says? And they're living in something less, you know? And I thought about something on this particular topic, this idea of there's power for deliverance, and yet people don't seem to be living in freedom. When, when Journey was just starting, um, like 11 years ago, and uh, we, none of, you know, we were all working other jobs and, and doing things, and uh, we were actually, Sarah and I were actually still living up in St. Joe. I was working as a, a detention officer at a jail. I actually did that for a couple years. And um, it got me a lot of interesting stories most of which I won't tell here. Um, But there was something that I observed uh, when I was there working at the jail. And and it's a strange thing. And you would not think that it would be this way. But there were some inmates who, when their release date was approaching, they would get anxious. And they would do things to delay their release date. They would do things to try to sabotage their release. And there were even some inmates that when they were released, they would go out 
and commit a crime right away and get put right back in jail. (coughs) And you think, why would you want to go back to jail? It's a stinky, nasty place. Depressing, lighting, horrible sleeping arrangements, not great company. Why would you want to go back there? But what I begin to notice is these people, and I'm not saying it was everybody, but there were certain people like this, but these people had grown accustomed to being incarcerated. And they had gotten used to it, and that had become their new normal. And they were actually intimidated by the idea of freedom. And, I mean, I've, I had inmates get irate with me when I said, your release date's almost here. They didn't want it. But what I noticed was I started seeing that same syndrome in believers when it came to the idea of being free, of wanting to be free, of wanting to be set free, of wanting to be delivered from addiction or uncontrollable thoughts or sinful lifestyle, things like that. There was something about that that they had finally gotten to a place where it had become so normal to them that they had finally just embraced it. And that is a lot harder to get free from. And so that begins to make sense. But one of the things that I think helps break you loose of that and set you free from that is to realize that it's not just something that happened that you got set free. That this is really our new nature. Okay? So our new normal is not bondage. Our new normal is freedom. We sang about it tonight. Freedom is here. Romans 6, uh, verses 6 and 7 say, We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that, what, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if he died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. So, again, this means that those things that held you before, addiction, uncontrollable thoughts, they've been broken. So there's power to bring new life. There's power to bring deliverance. And I told you there were three things we were going to break this whole salvation idea down into three things. And the third one is there's power for healing. Now, I'm talking about emotional healing. I'm also talking about physical healing. And this is a part of what we call salvation. And this is probably a little more controversial one because I think this is where people look at this And there's a question of, well, is this God's will? Because I can read what the Bible says, by his stripes, you were healed. But yet, I look around and I don't see that. That doesn't seem to be a reality. I don't even feel it in my own body. So I have to ask the question, maybe it's not God's will. And you know what? I'll just be totally transparent and totally honest with you, I'm on a journey myself. I'm in, a, I'm in this process myself. I believe God's word is true. I believe it 100%. But 
But am I in some place in my walk with God right now where every single time I encounter sickness in me or in someone else, I'm able to completely cast it away and have total victory over it? Not yet. But I believe what God's Word said is true. And so, but here's the thing. I don't even want to answer that question for you. I don't want to tell you if it's God's will or not God's will. I want you to be able to arrive at that conclusion yourself. But there is a test you can use that will help you determine the answer. And it's real simple. You guys are uh, familiar with uh, John 10.10, right? The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. So Jesus, he's the speaker here. He's the one that's talking. He draws a real clear line. He draws a real distinct line separation between two statements, a big, thick, black line down the middle, and there's no crossover. You guys know what a Venn diagram is, you know, the two circles, and then when you overlap the circles, there's stuff that kind of belongs in this circle and that circle. That's not what's going on here. There's two distinct sides. So go ahead and go to the next slide. That's right. So we have one side that is kill, steal, and destroy. That's what the thief comes to do. And then we have a side that's life and abundant life. That's what Jesus came to do. So you can take whatever it is that you're struggling with up here, trying to understand something, is this God's will, and just apply it to this. So let's just take one thing. Let's take cancer, okay? Now, cancer is at the place now where pretty much everybody knows somebody who's had cancer, right? I mean, my dad had it. Everybody knows somebody who's had it. Most people know somebody who's died of it. So cancer's everywhere. Everybody hates cancer. Where did cancer come from? Who's responsible for cancer? Which category does it belong in? Now, you might say, well, Aaron, you don't understand. Sometimes God does things, and, and, and we don't always understand. No, we don't need to get real cerebral. Just go with your gut instinct here. Does cancer belong in death, theft, and destruction? Or does cancer belong in life and abundant life? We shouldn't have to go back and forth about this. So if it belongs over here, who do we blame? So we can rest assured that it's not God's will. We don't have to struggle with that. But if we believe that healing is a part <clears throat> of what we receive at salvation, then we can put our sickness under that too. Chronic illness, chronic headaches, seizures, respiratory problems, whatever. Healing is one of the ways that God demonstrates his power in our life. And it's, it's kind of not as difficult as we make it seem to be. Because healing is really a part of the whole package. Remember I told you when we were talking about power, the power of salvation is not just forgiveness. Even though we kind of think that salvation is, I got my sins forgiven, I'm going to heaven, that's it. 
Well, salvation is a bigger idea than just that. And when you look through the Word of God at instances of forgiveness, consistently you see healing lumped together with forgiveness. Look at Psalms 103. It says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all your iniquities, and finish the end of it for me. Who heals all your diseases. Forgiveness and healing go together. Isaiah 53.5 says, But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we're healed. And then the New Testament version of that uh, passage is in 1 Peter 2.24. He himself bore bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. Amen. Everybody says amen to that. And by his wounds, you have been healed. So, here's the little key for you. Here's the flipping of the light switch when it comes to the power of God at salvation. Since healing is tied to forgiveness, we receive healing the same way we receive forgiveness. That was something so simple that you are in danger of letting it Zip right past you. Since healing is received the same way that we receive forgiveness, you receive it the same way. Forgiveness, most people don't have a problem with that. How many people in here believe you are saved? God has forgiven your sins. When you got saved, when you became a child of God, you simply believed and received. When you want to be delivered, You simply believe and receive. When you want to be healed, you simply believe and receive. Now, I don't have the power to read minds, but I can make really strong guesses. And if I had to guess, there are little question marks popping up. And it's like, okay, I understand that, and I see that in the Bible. Why don't I experience it? Well, I can't give you all the answers, but I can give you where I can give you what God has given me for my journey, okay? I want you to think about the story when Jesus was teaching. And as he was teaching, do you remember that story when the little kids tried to come to Jesus? And then the disciples all started freaking out and they're like, oh, get these kids out of here. And Jesus is like, no, 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 stop, stop. Let them come to me. Because you have to be like them if you want to enter the kingdom of heaven. And so what is Jesus saying there? And for a long time, I honestly, even growing up in church, and my dad was a pastor and all that, I didn't really get that. And Jesus is like, you've got to be like these little kids if you want to receive the benefits of the kingdom of God and everything God has for you. And I'm like, what does that mean? But then, one day, after being a father myself, it made sense. And even now, I still have... Uh, six-year-old twins, and they're just getting to the end of this stage of their life where they will believe whatever I tell them. And um, that's kind of a dangerous thing when you have a sarcastic father. But 
I mean, I know that that's a big responsibility, so I'm careful, but it's true. I could tell them the clouds are made out of marshmallows. And if I was to tell them that, their brains would try to work that out a little bit, and they would have a little bit of a problem with that. But you know what would finally win out? They would believe it because their father said it. And what I say as their dad carries more weight than what they even observe with their physical eyes. Because I'm their dad. And they trust me. And Jesus was saying that is the type of trust. That is the type of posture. That's the type of attitude you have to have towards the Father So that if the father says something bold and audacious, like, by his stripes you were healed, and your physical eyes observe something that seems to be contradictory to that, and there's a conflict between what you see with your senses and what you understand from the word of God, you decide that the word of God is what wins out, and you move forward with your life based on that, not based on what you see. That's entering the kingdom of God as a little child. So that is how God is teaching me to receive healing. And you know what? It's working. I've seen miraculous turnaround in healing in my own body many times this year by approaching God and his word in that simple, simple way. It happened tonight before this service. So, salvation encompasses the idea of new life, deliverance, and healing. All of those things, the power of God uh, floods into your life, rushes into your life in uh, salvation, in, I'm sorry, new life, deliverance, and healing. Healing is a part of salvation. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, for, for by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works so that no one may boast. So again, that idea of salvation encompasses these multiple ideas. Uh, actually, that word saved there is the Greek word sozo, S-O-Z-O. And that word means saved, healed, preserved, and rescued. So if I was to break down the meaning of that verse, by grace you have been saved, and give it to you in the literal sense, it would sound like this. For by grace you have been saved. But for by grace through faith you have been healed. For by grace through faith you have been preserved. And by grace, through faith, you have been rescued. Is that a good thing? Amen. Amen. So remember the illustration. Remember this lamp. This is you, and it requires external power to be able to perform its purpose, its design, right? And in order to get access to that power, you have to flip a switch. And flipping the switch is simply receiving by grace, through faith. Um, But as good as all that is, and it is good, 
You know, Jesus said that beyond salvation, there's even more. There's even more. And so let me ask you this. If Jesus tells you there's, he's got more for you, do you want more? So look at what it says here in John chapter 16, verse 7. He says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Now what he's talking about there is what is about to happen at Pentecost. Okay, so Pentecost, that's when the disciples all gathered together in Jerusalem and they waited and they remained there until the power of God came on them and the Holy Spirit filled them. So we have power at salvation and we have power at Pentecost. And now, so I want to look at Luke 24, 49, and we're going to kind of dissect this a little bit. And I actually want to use the amplified version. Uh, to get into this a little bit deeper. So Luke 24, verse 49 says, Listen carefully. And I hope you realize, anytime Jesus says, listen carefully, you should probably listen carefully. I am sending the promise of my Father, the Holy Spirit, upon you. But you are to remain in the city of Jerusalem until you're clothed, fully equipped with power from on high. Okay, there are three things that I want to pull out of that. Three things. Number one, the Holy Spirit is the promise of the Father to us. The Holy Spirit is the promise of the Father to us. Number two, to receive this gift, they had to remain, wait, they had to spend some time. It didn't happen right at that second. And then number three, Until you receive the Holy Spirit, you are not fully equipped. Okay, and we're going to come back to that. But before we go any further, I just want to lay a real quick foundation here that what we're talking about is something after salvation. We're talking about something different. We talked about power of God at salvation. This is different. This is something subsequent or after salvation. Um, You've probably heard Pastor Sean preach on this before, but I just want a real quick touch on this so that we can have a kind of a common ground here, um, what we're talking about. Uh, Acts chapter 19, verse 1 through 6 says, And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples. And he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, No. We have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, into what then were you baptized? They said, into John's baptism. And Paul said, John's baptism, uh, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Uh, Verse 6, and when Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. So this is clearly something that happened after salvation. The people that Paul encountered were believers, they were disciples, yet they were not baptized. Paul laid his hands on them, and then they were baptized in the Holy Spirit. Then they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. So it's a different thing. And it's absolutely necessary. 
if you want to receive the promise of the Father, if you want to be fully equipped. And it's like salvation in that it's not the finish line, it's the starting gate, right? When you get saved, you're not crossing the finish line, you're just hearing the starting gun and starting on your race. The process just begins. And when you get filled with the Spirit, you aren't crossing a finish line. Okay, that's done. Check. Move on. No, you have just placed your first footstep on a new path in a new life of a deeper, more dynamic, more powerful, more real relationship with the Holy Spirit. And you have access to power that you didn't have access to before, but you have to grow into it. You have to mature. Notice Jesus said, back in Luke 24, 49, Jesus said, go to the city of Jerusalem and wait. Wait. You know, God honors those who wait on him. There's something powerful. There's something significant about that. Isaiah 40, 28 through 31 says this. Have you not heard? Have, have you not known? Have you not heard the Lord, the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth? He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles, run and not be weary, walk and not faint. This is a powerful principle that works, and that if we neglect it, we miss out on its benefit. Even in the life of Jesus, we see this demonstrated. You know, Jesus, uh, at the beginning of his ministry here, he went away for 40 days and nights into the wilderness to wait on God, to get away from everybody else, to focus his attention on God, to hear from God, to fast and pray. And then when he returned, look what it says in Luke 4.14. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. And a report about him went out through all the surrounding country. <clears throat> Jesus had all of the Father's power because the Father had all of Jesus' time. And I hope you can see that there is a correlation between the two. And you can't expect to know God, to grow in God, to mature, to change without spending time with God. Um, I want to put a quote up on the screen from Jimmy Evans. He says, the essential commodity of relationship is time. And you can't build a relationship without investing time. Have you ever known anybody that's gotten married by meeting someone? somewhere for the first time and then getting married right away and then going off and living separate lives? I mean, I'm sure you haven't. That's kind of ridiculous. But the reason it's ridiculous is that's not how it works. It takes time to build relationship. And as much as our culture loves things fast and furious and convenient and right now, you can't microwave your relationship with God. There's no substitute. There's no shortcut. It takes time with God, 
It's the only way you're ever going to know him. And time with God is the only way you're ever going to grow. And so when I say time with God, I'm talking about prayer. I'm talking about reading your Bible. I'm talking about uh, talking to God and listening to God. Earlier this year, I felt like the Holy Spirit was speaking to me and saying, you spend a lot of time doing things about me. And you spend a lot of time reading things about me, but you don't spend very much time with me. And, of course, that was convicting. And so I made some changes, and I began spending a lot more time with God. But at first, when I started spending more time with God, I did a whole lot of talking. Talk, 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 talk. God, God this. God, listen to this. God, I'm going to tell you this. And eventually, again... I heard the loving, disciplining voice of the Holy Spirit say, would you please stop talking and just listen? Because if I want to get to know God, because I know he wants to have me know him, we have to have a relationship. And a relationship is not a one-sided thing. So I'll tell you something else that's a little bit interesting. We're going to pull one more thing out of this Luke 24, 49 before we move on. Jesus said to wait, but he said to wait in Jerusalem, right? Now, it's probably not going to be real convenient for many of us to fly over to Jerusalem to wait on God whenever we need to get close to God, right? That's not really what Jesus was talking about, or that's not what I'm pulling out of this, actually. Um, And if you want to take a look at what Jerusalem means, in its kind of most basic terms, meaning or translation, Jerusalem really just means place of peace. And you know, you probably can't go to Jerusalem, but you probably have a place of peace. Even if it's your closet, even if it's in your car with nobody else around, even if it's walking uh, on a trail, whatever, it's going to be different for every person. But there is a place of peace, and you need to go to that place of peace And you need to wait on God. And you need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. But once that happens, once you've set your your first footstep on that journey, you need to wait on God. You need to grow in the Lord. You need to mature. And then as you do that, that's when you're going to start experiencing and walking in and demonstrating this power. Because really, what we're trying to do here tonight, our goal is to identify why there's a disconnect between what the Bible says our life should be and what we see that our life or our reality really is. And we've got to somehow bring what should be into our reality. And I'm telling you right now, if you do these two things, at the power, when we're talking about the power of salvation, to bring new life, deliverance, and healing, that you receive those things by grace. Stop making it about works and how good you are and what you can do to get it and just receive it by grace like a little, kid, like a little child. And if you, filled with the Spirit, begin to spend time waiting on God, knowing God, listening to the Holy Spirit, then you're going to start seeing that power active, moving, and flowing in your life. Now, to kind of come in for a landing here, I want to show you how I believe 
this applies to our life, okay? Uh, there's really one last little thing I want to pull out of this. First, again, these two ideas, power at salvation, power at Pentecost. At salvation, we have, think about what we have. Again, forgiveness, deliverance, and healing. These things are the power of God for you, right? Forgiveness is for you. Deliverance is for you. Healing is for you. This is the love of God demonstrated for you in the power of God. But then think about what happens when we talk about the power at Pentecost, when the power of the Holy Spirit comes into your life and you begin to move with His power and His leading then that power gets demonstrated in a way that blesses other people. And then the power goes through you. Let me show you what I'm talking about there. Um, Because this is really how God operates. It's what he likes to do. It's kind of his nature. He likes to bless you so much that there's extra, that there's leftovers. How many of you guys here in a couple weeks at Thanksgiving are going to be somewhere where they make so much food that there are leftovers. Okay, amen, amen. Now, I know you guys know this is true, but some of those things that are made on Thanksgiving are even better the next day. Anybody get a witness? Amen. And that's true. And so, but see, that's kind of how God works in our life. God gives us so much that it's like, ah, I can't even, I don't even know what to do with all this. God's goodness is so good that it's just overflowing out of me. And that's what he wants. 2 Corinthians 9, 8 says this. Look at this. This is true. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you, always having all sufficiency in all things, that's the part that's for you, may have an abundance for every good work. That's the part that's for others. And then John 10.10, we've been talking about that tonight. If you go back to that, that really sums it up. The thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. But I have come that they may have life, that's for you, and life more abundantly, that's for others. What do you do with abundant life? What do you do with all that extra that you don't need? God's power flows through you. God's love flows through you. So through you, God saves people. Through you, God sets people free. Through you, God heals people. That's his nature. That's what he wants. So um, if you feel powerless, if you feel like all of this good stuff that we've been talking about is something that you can see, but it's just out of reach, then you need to flip the switch. You need to get plugged in and flip the switch. And you flip the switch by, number one, receiving by grace through faith. Think about the little children Jesus is talking about. They believe it because their father said it. And number two, when you've been filled with the Spirit and you've started on that journey, you, you receive power by spending time with God. And you begin to grow in God. So grace Plus time equals power. Remember, you need power to live your purpose. 
This lamp has to have external power to do what it was designed to do. You cannot do what you were designed to do. You can't carry out God's purpose for your life without this power. You have to have it. You need it. So let's not spend any more time without it. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's all stand up tonight and let's pray. Father, we thank you, God, for your power present to heal, present to save, present to set captives free. We thank you for your Holy Spirit sent to us, the helper, the comforter, the fire, the power that you sent to us. We thank you, God, that you are ready and willing to enter into relationship with us, to grow in relationship with us. We thank you, Father, that your love for us is so strong, so amazing, and that you have set us free. And God, we give you praise tonight for all that you've done. We thank you for your goodness, and we just love you. Come on, let's shout praise to God tonight. Hallelujah. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. For more information about Journey Church or to browse our media library, visit us online at journeykc.com.